Well, good morning, and let me once again just welcome you to Fellowship Church, especially those of you who are guests with us. We're thankful that you're here, and if you are here today uh, to support uh, those who are being baptized, uh, again, welcome. We're so glad that you are here and that you can be a part of this very, very special day uh, for those who are following the Lord uh, in the ordinance of baptism. So thank you for coming and being a part uh, and celebrating this with us. We uh, have this summer as a church, we've been working through a series, uh, a, bi- a teaching series through the Bible. Um, we've entitled it uh, Hope in Suffering. And you've heard from uh, pretty much all of our pastors uh, as we've talked through this. And uh, the purpose has been to really just help and encourage us to understand suffering, something we all experience, but to do so from a biblical framework, from a, from a, from a biblical uh, perspective. And, and so we've talked about a lot of different aspects to this. And today, as we continue, I would like to address uh, the, the topic or the thought of what it means to wait on the justice of God, waiting on the justice of God. The idea of, of, of waiting for God to uh, have and execute justice on our behalf, that, that idea really seems uh, to be antithetical to our society and our culture, if you really think about it. It's not, it's not something that our society and culture really welcomes. And, and when you think about that, you say, well, why is that? Why, why is that the case? Well, for one thing, we, as, as humans who have experienced injustice, there's a, there's a part of us that kind of likes revenge. You know, we like, we like when people get what they deserve. And, and, and for example, we, we, we like movies that do this, right? We, we, we watch those. We, they do well. You know, people want to see if something bad happens, they want to see in the movie something that then makes up for that, where the person that does wrong is addressed. So for example, I wanted to bring up a couple of examples. First one is in the movie Taken, right? We love that Liam Neeson said that one line, right? If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money, but what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Can't say it the way he does. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. You know, we love that part, right? There isn't, there isn't a part of us that says, oh, what's wrong with him? Like, why is he doing that? You know, but just imagine now in the movie him saying something like this. What I do have is friends from church. Friends with a particular set of skills, and we're going to pray for you, and you won't like that. Well, we're in church, and we don't like that line, right? We're, we're listening to that and going, that's not really going to play well, right, in, in, in theater. Well, there's another, another movie that I, I really like, and um, it has a similar line like this. It's in the movie Gladiator, when uh, Russell Crowe, Uh, has this famous line, and if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. He says, I am Maximus Decimus Meridius, but he doesn't say it like that. He says it like this, commander of the armies of the north. (laughs) 
See, I can do that voice. And he says, loyal servant to the true emperor, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. You know, when we hear that in the movie, we're like, yes. Right? We love that part. The revenge is finally coming. We don't want him to say this. I am Maximus Decimus Meridius, and it's okay. I know that what you did was terrible, but you just wait until sometime next year. You'll see. We'd all be like, because there's something in us that really likes when people get what they deserved, especially when it's something bad that they've done. Now, we don't want to get what we deserve. That's that's always the flip side of this. We just want other people to get what they deserve. And yet, what we're going to see today is we have a God, a very real, powerful God, the one true God, who says, wait on me. Wait on me. So, I want to ask this question. Have you been wronged? Have you been hurt? Have you been betrayed? And are you waiting for justice? And in a, in a, in a room like this, with, with this many people, the answer to that is, is certainly yes. There's, there are people here who have been wronged, hurt, betrayed. And, and that's very real. And I don't in any way want to make light of that, ever. Because it's real, and it's true, and the pain that you carry is real and true. And there may even be a part of you that wants to bring vengeance, revenge, and justice yourself. You want to be the executor of justice, or at least make sure that it's done. And it's hard to wait on the justice of God. Yet, what we're going to see today is that is what we as followers of Christ are called to do. We're to wait. Today, you're going to see the biblical mandate for waiting on the justice of God. I'll, I'll show that to you through the text. And then I want to give you some ways some ways that we can learn to wait on the justice of God in our lives. Again, from his word. So would you pray with me as we ask God to go before us? Lord, waiting on your justice in a world, in a fallen world, is very, very difficult. It's difficult for us to do that. Difficult to wait knowing that evil continues, wrongs are being done, and we're waiting on you. We, we want to act. We want to do something. We want someone else to do something. Lord, help us, even as, we're, even as we have uh, been recipients of, of wrongdoing, of injustice, each of us, help us to learn the, the fruit of, of waiting on you and trusting in you even in that. So, Lord God, I ask for you to go before uh, this pr- uh, proclaiming of your word and your truth and that you would open hearts and, and minds and, and Holy Spirit, you would do the work that you do. We, we, we thank you for that. And we pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. So I want to start, uh, we're going to look at a couple different places uh, in, in scripture. I want to start in Psalms. In Psalm 13, 
the author David expressed this idea of trying to wait on God for justice. And in his words, you can hear his pained heart. You can hear how hard it is for him. If, if, you, if you struggle at all with, with feelings like this, the Psalms are a great place to go because you will, you will find in the Psalms writings that I think will resonate with you. It's what I love about the Bible. Listen, there's a lot of criticism about the, about the scriptures and the Bible, but, but the one thing that, that cannot be said about, about the scriptures or the Bible is that it, it doesn't deal or that it ignores the reality of what it means to be human. It doesn't. It, 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 it completely acknowledges it. And we see that here. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say that I have prevailed over him. You can hear David here. He doesn't want the enemy to think that he's prevailed. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This psalm expresses again how many of us feel when we are waiting on God to intervene in our situations. To bring swift justice, to make right what was wronged. The Old Testament is also filled with scriptures warning us about having this vengeful spirit. I want to put up uh, some of these uh, on the screen so you can see in Genesis 4.15. It says, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. This is right in the beginning of of the Bible in Genesis 4. And here what God promises is sevenfold vengeance on anyone who would dare to kill Cain. And Cain had murdered his brother. And he was the first murderer. Yet already God was warning against this spirit of revenge. In Leviticus 19, we have, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In other words, this is God speaking. And so in giving his people the law, they were commanded, do not take vengeance against your own people. Deuteronomy 32, 35. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people. And have compassion on his servants. Proverbs 20 verse 22. Do not say. Don't say this. I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. And he will deliver you. Proverbs 24, 29. Do not say I will do to him as he's done to me. If you're going to do that to me. You just wait. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Do not say these things. The scripture is very clear about this. There's something very wrong, very evil 
about humans assuming the role of God in executing justice in situations like this and taking revenge on others. Something very, very wrong about that. Now, as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, want to see and, and take a look at what, what the New Covenant has to say to us. So look at Romans chapter 12, and we're going to see what the Apostle Paul wrote. And he wrote this to Christians living in Rome, again, in the first century. And, and vengeance in the Roman culture was very common. It was actually part of normal life. And look at what Paul writes to these believers in Rome. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And here it is again. Repay no one for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written. And then he goes back to scripture that we've already read. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, in other words, instead of saying that, that you're going to, you know, avenge, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So again, notice what Paul told these Christians in Rome. Never avenge yourselves. Never. And we would need to understand this would be really difficult, really difficult to hear for the first century Christians living in Rome. This would be very difficult. Because they were under such heavy persecution. And Romans, the whole culture around them, believed in vengeance. And they believed in vengeance so strongly that they would look for vengeance in this life or the next. Or both. We'll get you both ways. Now and in the life to come. And notice, instead of taking revenge on others, instead of forcing people into submission, under our dominion, what we're given here is a principle of justice. In verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, instead overcome evil with good. It's a principle that we are not to be overcome by evil, we are to overcome evil with good. So vengeance and retaliation is considered evil in this principle. Instead of bringing evil on those who do evil, we are to bring good. We're called to overcome evil with good. And this is difficult in the world that we live in. This is not easy. And, it, and I believe only done in and through the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Where it's supernatural, not natural. Natural is I'll get them. Supernatural is... I'm resting and I'm trusting in God. So, so if these are the instructions on what we are to do and how we are to live, how do we do this practically? 
How do do you do this practically? How do you live this out practically? How How do I live this out practically? How do we wait on the justice of God? How do we do this? Well, as David wrote in his psalm, how long, O Lord, right? Again, when I identify with you, you have, you have probably prayed that, even if you didn't know that psalm, you've probably prayed that without knowing that psalm. How long, O Lord? How long? So what are some practical ways that we can wait on the justice of God? For this, I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to see how we are to wait on the justice of God. Hebrews chapter 11. And if you look at Hebrews 11, we're not going to look at the whole chapter, but verse 1 starts by defining what faith is, what faith in God is. Not just general faith, but faith in God. And it's being sure of what we hope for. Think about that. Sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. That's what faith is. We are Christians, as, as, a, as followers of Christ, we have been called to walk by faith, to live by faith. Everything we do is done by faith. And that's what faith is. It's being sure, certain of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. I mean, these are, these are difficult concepts for us. We're not, it's, not about, it's not about doubting. It's not doubting. It's, it's certainty and surety in God. Not in us, in God. Verses 2 through 12, then what that does is it lists the names of, the, of some of the patriarchs of the faith. So the writer of Hebrews, which we're not really exactly sure who, who that is, but this writer is writing about the patriarchs of the faith and, and, and he's commending them for their faith in God. So he's reviewing some names and saying, look at these people who have come before us and their faith in God. Now let's look at verse 13. Here's what he says about the list of people. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So from this passage here, what I'd like to do is, again, give you, I want to give you four ways that we are to wait on the justice of God. So if you are waiting right now on something because of something going on in your life, my hope is that these words, the word of God, what you're going to hear today will be an encouragement to you. I want the word of God to be encouraging to you. So I pray that that be the case. And would you pray and ask God for that to be the case in you? So the first one is this. Wait in faith. Wait in faith. Look at verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. The reference to these is, again, the reference to the patriarchs that were mentioned earlier in the chapter. They all died in faith is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. 
Now, what does that mean? It means, according to what he's saying here in verse 13, they died, notice, not having received the things promised. So if you're reading that and you're going, oh, pastor, my Bible has a mistake. It says not. It must have meant they did receive the promise. No, it's not. They've not received the things promised. You're like, wait a minute. Everything I've been taught about God is he's a promise keeper. We sing about that. He doesn't give promises and then not keep them. I'm going to explain what this means. They died not having received what was promised. But what? But having seen them from afar... That, that means that they're standing back and they're seeing the promise and the fulfillment of the promise out there in the distance. And they're believing it in faith, even though they didn't receive it themselves. They didn't receive the promise themselves, but they believed in the promise. And how did they do that? By seeing the promises from a distance, by looking out into the distance, seeing it, and the main promise here, the the main uh, ultimate promise that is in mind here, that is in view here, is Jesus Christ, the coming of Christ, the God-man, God in the flesh, the Messiah. So these patriarchs, they did not see the incarnate Christ. But they believed he would come based on what God had promised. They believed in the promise, and then that, in that way, they waited in faith, is what, is what the writer is, is getting at. They, they, didn't see, they didn't necessarily, all of them, see the promised land, but they heard about it, knew about it, and believed it in faith. They saw it from a distance and believed it in the present. That's what is being commended here. And in order for us to wait for the justice of God, we have to wait in that kind of faith. We have to see his promise of justice from a distance, from afar, and believe it in the present. We we don't need to make sure that we have it done our way in that, in, in, right around us so that we can see it and know it, we just need to firmly believe in faith that it will be done. God will do it. Why? Because God promised that it would be. So this not having received the things promised, isn't a, he, he's not, a, he's not uh, turning back or forgetting a promise. He fulfilled it. He just fulfilled it after these people had already died, but they believed it in faith. They died in faith. So they weren't dying going, this my whole life I've believed this, but apparently I must be wrong because here I am. I'm not in the promised land. I don't see a lot of these promises fulfilled. So let me tell you, my my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren don't believe. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is they said, I still believe, and my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, you must believe too. Don't give up in our God. 
So they waited in faith. If we are going to wait on the justice of God, we must wait in faith, with this kind of faith. The kind of faith where you're in the present and you're seeing it from a distance. It's not here in the present reality, but you're believing it because of the God who promised it. Second, waiting is one waiting for your king to return. You are waiting as one who is waiting for your king to return. Verses 13 and 14. So you have 13 there, and it says, greeted them from afar, and then says, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So there's something important about them acknowledging that they're strangers and exiles. For people who speak this way, thus, make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. So these people knew something. They knew knew something that I think Christians today really need to know and understand. They were strangers in the land. They were exiles in the land. And when people understand and live this way, they're making something else clear. It's, we would say it this way. It's not explicit, it's implicit. It, it's not explicitly said, but it's implying it here in, in the text. What are they making clear? They're making clear that they're seeking a homeland and they know that homeland is coming. These people recognize something about the land they're living in. There is another wicked ruler over the land. And he has cast his shadow on the land. And there's evil and unrighteousness. And it's, and it's not only allowed, it's perpetuated. It's encouraged. And here you have these other people saying, but wait, something's wrong. Why aren't these people being judged? Why is all this evil, rampant evil allowed to happen? But justice and righteousness is coming. And it will come, these people know it will come with the return of their king. So you live through the suffering, you live through the pain, you live through the trial of this land with that in mind. Now you don't live in the present and in the trial and in the suffering in defeat. We talked about that last week, right? You don't live in defeat because you are more than a conqueror. And if you weren't here last week and you missed that, I'll encourage you to listen to that so that it connects to everything that we're talking about now. You're more than a conqueror. You don't live as, you don't live as a, with, a, with a mindset of, of victimhood. You live as a victor. You're more than a conqueror. You live differently and with hope. Why? Why do you live that way in this current land that is filled with wickedness? Because you have a king and he is coming back. And he has promised that. And we live in the reality of that today. We don't live today as if he's not coming back and then get surprised when he, is, when he does come back. So of course the people of this land are hostile to you. Because you're living for a different king. And they're living for the king of their world. And you're living for the king of all kings. And so imagine... You know, you're in a faraway land under the rule of an evil king. Where's your hope? Your hope is in the reality that when your king returns, complete and full justice will come with him. And it will. 
You know, it's like those movies where there's an evil ruler that comes in and he takes over. And then there's this group of people. And some of them stay loyal, you know, to the, to the king who's been displaced. But then others that are in the castle or in the land, they, they embrace the new wicked ruler. You know, and then the other king comes back and he takes back over. And then you're hoping again that that king takes care of all those people that weren't loyal, right? But the people that were, you know, they receive that king with joy. That, that's us right now living in this world. We know that there is wickedness around us. But we also know what is coming. Full and complete justice. We're not bringing it ourselves Jesus is, and you must see it with eyes of faith. It doesn't mean that we ignore injustice. Not what I'm saying. And it doesn't mean we don't have laws that execute morality and that execute uh, penalties for violating the law. We should have those things. But what I'm talking about here is full and complete justice, even on things that we would not necessarily understand to be unrighteous. So we wait as one, waiting for our king to return. Third, we wait as one unwilling to return to your old ways simply to alleviate the pain and suffering. We're we're unwilling to return to the old ways simply to alleviate the pain and the suffering. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. If they had been, all they had been thinking about was that, they would have left. If they had been thinking of the land they left. If all they thought about was where where they came from, then it would have led to them going back to returning. And the writer here is describing exactly what the nation of Israel did, exactly what they did when they left Egypt, right? They left Egypt, God provided this amazing escape, right? Amazing through powerful powerful miracles. Each one of those miracles and plagues was, was specifically designed to make it clear to Israel and to Egypt that the, the Egyptian gods could not match him. And here they are out in the desert and in the wilderness saying how much better it was in Egypt. Moses, why did you take us out of here? We had everything we needed. We had food. You've brought us out here to die. We're going to starve. We're gonna, we, we don't have enough water to drink. Why did you take us out into the desert? We had all, this, all, all these other things around us that you've removed from us. But what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that these patriarchs that are being commended here, these greats of the faith, they didn't do that. They did not focus on what was behind them but what was before them. And that's, that, connects, that connects strongly to what we talked about last week, about how to, how to be more than a conqueror. It's the same with us in the midst of the suffering and the pain. You don't sit around and just wish for the good old days and complain how things are and wish for the good old days. You look forward with hope of what is to come. That's what, that's what the writer of Hebrews is, is trying to get everyone to do here. Look forward with this hope. Wait as one unwilling to return to your old ways simply to alleviate the pain and suffering. Because if they had done that, they would have op- had opportunity to return. Then fourth, wait as one who knows God has provided something better for us. You need to know, not doubt, not wonder, 
but you need to know that God has provided something better for us. Notice verse 39. What were these greats commended for? Verse 39 now. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They're commended again through their faith. Through their faith. Who are these listed there? Who, who, the these, what, what's, what's that in reference to? Well, it's, re, it's reference to those listed in verses 32 through 38. Gideon, Samson, David. What happened to them? What, what's, what's the point of the writer of Hebrews? Well, some were tortured, some were mocked, some were flogged, some were imprisoned, some were stoned, some were sawn in two. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Not a great list. You know, not a great list. Yet, yet, they were commended for their faith, commended for their belief in something they never received. Take that in. They never received it. They saw, they they had to see it from a distance. They heard about a Messiah, a promised land for God's people, but some of these never saw that but they believed it in faith. And then look, at, look again at verse 40. They knew God had provided something better for them. And we must believe that too. We must believe that God has something better. So even as we wait for justice, we must believe in faith. God has something better for us. He has provided something better for us. And we're not doubting that. We're not wondering about it. We're certain of it because that's what he said here, that we need to know that this is true. We're certain. We're sure of what we hope for. We're certain of what we do not see. And so let me ask you this question. Do you believe whatever it is you're going through that God has something better for you? I want to encourage you to believe that in faith. What, is it, what do I mean by that? I mean that you're going to see it from a distance. And this is not wishful thinking. I'm not, I am not here standing before you doing this because I have a belief in the power of positive thinking and wishful thinking. That is not what I'm saying. I'm not... I'm not telling you, but if you just think good enough thoughts, you can, oh, that's not what this text is saying. This is not, this is not that. This is not, this is not trusting in, you know, in crystals or, or the universe or the sun, you know, or chakras or whatever else. It's none of that. This is faithful thinking, not wishful thinking. Faithful thinking. And you believe in faith that God has something better. Notice the amazing way this story unfolds for those in the past and those of us living in the present. For those who lived in the past, right? Hebrews 11, it's people who died before us, who, who, were, who were in the scriptures, came before us. They had to believe in faith, right? They had to believe in faith of what was to come, what was ahead of them. But they never saw some of it. For those of us in the present here in 2023, August of 2023, we must believe in faith that Jesus has come in the past, 
right? We, 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 we weren't there. We weren't living in first century Palestine. We didn't see him. We didn't talk to him. So you have these greats of the faith. They were looking forward. Here we are today. We're looking back. So we have those in the past. And now in the present, we're believing all of us in faith. This is, this is what it means to be a Christian. And notice where our faith converges. Those in the past look to the future. Those in the present look back in faith at what happened in the past. And we come together at the cross. We come together where Jesus gave his life and fulfilled everything that God had said. The cross and the empty tomb. And ultimately, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the reason we can wait on God for justice. We can wait with hope and we can wait not with despair. Jesus is the one who's going to make all things right. He will bring complete justice in all things. So today, even these teens that are getting baptized, that's what we're saying is their hope too. Each of them having put, it, put their faith in the one who died for them. And they're believing that in faith. They're trusting in that, in faith. They didn't see it necessarily with their own eyes, but they're believing it in faith and they're proclaiming it in faith through the obedient step of stepping into the waters of baptism and symbolizing what Christ has done for them and where their hope lies. So the question is, how long, O oh Lord? How do we wait on the Lord for justice? Well, we wait in faith. Wait on your king. Trust and believe every day. He is coming and I live for him. There's a lot of voices and a lot of distractions in this world. We need to be reminded who is the one we live for. Wait with perseverance through the trial. Wait with assured hope that God has something better for you. Because he does, because he's promised it. So I hope that this can be encouragement to you as you wait on your God. He can be trusted. He is faithful. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise of, of, of what is to come. We thank you for the assurance of what has already happened and what has transpired. We thank you for the work of Christ on our behalf in the past and that in faith we can believe in that, trust in that, and that it can have efficacy in the present, in the here and now, in my life, in our lives, as we believe in faith in what Christ has done. Lord Jesus, we see the wickedness all around us in this world. We see injustice all the time. We see a new brand of justice in front of us, where what, is, what was once called evil is now being called good. And what was once good is now being called evil. 
And that is being branded as justice. Lord God, we trust and we know that you will come and you will make all things right. Help us to live in that with victory, not with defeat, in the here and now. Proclaiming your truth, your gospel, encouraging one another, continuing, Lord, to believe. Thank you for the testimonies of of other believers as we're going to witness today. Even young ones who are saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He is my king and I'm going to live for him. May we be able to celebrate that together. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' holy name. Amen.